Welcome back to the Protest Coverage Podcast. I'm Kevin Xavier. For this week's episode, Amanda Farai and I welcome organizer and founder of Unlearning Racism Together, Hennessy Garcia. Hennessy was one of the first people we interviewed back in June, and her visibility has only increased since. The first March Hennessy organized was on June 25th, where she led a group of 100 demonstrators from Frederick Douglass Circle in Harlem, through Central Park, and all the way down to City Hall Park, also known as Abolition Park. She was confident, composed, and spoke with passion. I only learned afterward that it was the first time Hennessy had ever spoken publicly in her entire life. Today, she's become one of the most recognizable BIPOC women organizing for Black Lives in New York City, but not without criticism, both within and outside of the movement. Hennessy doesn't shy away from discussing any of these topics. So let's get to it. For Amanda Farai, I'm Kevin Xavier, and the protest coverage podcast interview with Hennessy Garcia begins now. Welcome back into the protest coverage podcast. I'm Kevin Xavier, here with a new voice on the protest coverage podcast, and that is Amanda. Welcome, Amanda. How are you today? Hi, Kevin and Hennessy. I'm great. How are you all? We are well. Jump right to it. Our guest, our first ever interview for NYC protest coverage was with our guest this week, and she has come a long way since then. And uh, full disclosure, I consider her a friend, and she's here to talk about her journey and what she's experienced in this movement as a leader and woman of color. So I welcome Without further ado, Hennessy Garcia. Hennessy, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm well, thank you. We just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experiences and kind of what you've gone through. So going back to June when we first met, I attended a march that you held that began in Harlem and went through Central Park all the way down to City Hall. And I believe that was your first ever march that you had organized. But if I'm not mistaken, it was actually also the first time you ever spoke publicly. Is that correct? Yeah, my first march was in like early June that I led because I noticed there wasn't a lot of like queer like spaces and like many queer protesting. And I think this was prior to Stonewall or it was at the same time as Stonewall. I'm a little unclear on that one, but I know that the first time I spoke, I was really nervous and I'm not much of a public speaker, so I always get like a little like awkward. I definitely find myself as an awkward person. So every time I speak, I'm like, oh, hi, everyone. I don't know what else to say, but here I am. Does anyone else want to say some words? Well, you handled yourself well, and obviously you've gotten pretty used to it at this point. You know, you have your own organization that's an educational organization. It's called Unlearning Racism Together. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? So as of right now, I'm taking a break from it because I want to rebrand it. Instead of unlearning racism together, I want to just put unlearning together because it's like it's more than just racism that we're learning. We're unlearning different systems, even because they're all interconnected. We're unlearning sexism. We're unlearning our internalized like phobias of everything. And I didn't think racism was not, not that it wasn't inclusive, but it was more of like it wasn't the right word. But our original thing that we've been doing is we've held a lot of panels. They used to be outside, but now, you know, we do it via Zoom. We're kind of taking a break because it's just, I have a small team. Like, it's only me and two other people. 
So it's honestly really hard to do this, but we had like a book club plan and we still have the book that we wanted to read with other people. But the thing is, I'm a, I'm a very busy girl. So I have a lot going on. So it's been hard. And it's like, I would love other help with this. But the panels that we've had so far, they've been pretty awesome. Like, I think my favorite one was the sex work panel. I would never understand what sex work was. I'm just like, support sex workers, but I never understood, okay, what goes on in sex work? So it's like, I'm hearing from someone my age who's like, yeah, I got into this to, you know, make me feel better about myself. And then you have someone twice my age who's talking about, hey, you know, this is what I have to do because I'm a trans woman of color. So it's like, it was the most enlightening and like empowering thing I've ever sat and witnessed. Yeah. And speaking currently, today, the day we're recording this, ProPublica just published a report on the NYPD and their enforcement and in some cases lack of enforcement and disproportionate enforcement of sex trafficking in communities of color. So definitely look into that if the audience, you haven't heard of it to this point. Uh, I know Amanda Hennessy wanted to learn a little bit more about your background and your bio and kind of what brought you to the first time you and I met and what brought you to organizing in the first place. In the beginning of the protests, I started off of like small demonstrations. So I would like protest like near my house, not like directly outside, but like a few blocks away because I'm like, okay, I'm safe over here. Safe enough. Not Maybe not that safe, but <laughs> like I was kind of just doing it on my own. And then like people saw what I was doing, especially like my old teachers and they were like encouraging it I was like oh thanks but I think for me when it came to marches I didn't expect to plan marches <laughs> so when it came to like contacting Justice for George it was always like awkward for me because I'm like uh I'm doing this and I'm afraid it was never gonna get like out there but in between my first demonstration and the first march I did, I just kind of kept going to other protests and observing. But the reason why I got into protesting is because, like, it's just kind of an at-home thing, as in, like, there's been some issues at home where my parents don't entirely agree with me. And I'm not telling people that, you know, everyone has to agree with me, but it's like there there is a line. And for me, the line was crossed when it's, like, implying that George Floyd deserved to die. Because my thing is, I'm a very empathetic person. So it's like, I don't give a fuck what George Floyd was doing. I don't care if he was on fentanyl. You would not say the same thing if this was a white guy. And it's like, George Floyd, I don't know what is in the U.S. Constitution. What is in our laws that say that he deserved to die for fentanyl or whatever that was. And it it was just frustrating because I know like there were different things my parents had taught me that I never agreed with in the first place or like over time as I grew up and did exactly what they told me oh learn get you know get your degree and stuff and I started to realize oh well the stuff you're kind of teaching me is not the way and then it's it became a lot of issues and especially when it came to constantly protesting because I I had a schedule for myself in June I'm like okay I'm gonna go to marches like once a week once twice a week I'll plan something every two weeks or (laughs) Like, I was trying to be a little organized so I don't get my parents mad. And then when I started constantly protesting, and even though I was starting to get burnt out in the middle of June, they're like, oh, why do you keep protesting? And it's like, what what do you mean? Why? There's a human rights issue. 
and they made it about themselves they're like oh so you don't want to be around your family and I'm like never said that but it honestly got more heated over time and it's like I became more unhappy they were more unhappy I'm like this is not the situation for neither of us so if it's gonna be like that I might as well walk away and I mean I did exactly that I had a group of friends help me raise money the community gave back to me and I was I was shook I even got lucky with unemployment just like throwing some money in there so I was able to move out and I'm not gonna lie currently not really talking to my parents and it's not that I don't love them it's just that if we're not gonna have proper conversations then there's no need for me to have a conversation it's like I grew up I think a lot of like Hispanic people or people within my culture will understand that we're always taught about family and blood but the thing is I don't think people understand that your your family can be super disappointing you're, and it's like, you don't owe them forgiveness. You don't owe them anything, even though they make it seem like, oh, no, they brought you into this world. You owe them everything. No, I owe no one nothing. Can you share more about like your parents' background and some things they taught you that you don't agree with now? With my parents, they, they're Puerto Rican. I think they were born here in New York in the Bronx, but our like grandparents were not. But it seems that like and back in their day, it was all, oh, the Bronx was this, the Bronx was that. But the thing is, every time they talk about the Bronx, they're like, it's dangerous. And it's like, but we're talking about 2020, where the Bronx is not as bad as it used to be. So while you almost got into all these different altercations, while you almost got severely hurt, while you all dealt with this, I understand, but you cannot tell me that right now I'm in danger in the Bronx because I've been fine. Or like, yes, our neighborhood is not the best, but it's like the age difference between my parents and I because they're not as like old. My mom had me when she was 17. So she's in her 40s. So she's not that old. (laughs) Neither is my father. He was 21. So it's like the 80s and the 90s were a whole different scene. And I've seen like documentaries of what New York City used to be and it was not great. And I'm aware of that, but it's like, I think my parents are still in a mindset where they still are teaching us that, oh, you don't know the ghetto, you don't know the streets. And it's like, I'm not in the streets. I'm protesting and I go outside because I want to go outside. I, I, I don't know what you think I'm doing in the streets, but it's definitely not what you think I'm doing. I wanted to shift focus a bit and just talk a little bit about the virus that is plaguing this country and the world right now. And we've had some discussions before on the podcast about how you kind of factor that in to the frequency that you're protesting or organizing marches and, you know, how it affects your day-to-day as far as the movement is concerned. In the beginning, I would protest like once a week. And then like in June, I can't, like in the middle of it, then I kept going to more. When it came to COVID, I definitely took precautions. Um, I've definitely been called out like once or twice on like my mask wearing because, you know, I would take it down if I'm on the megaphone. So I'm definitely unlearning that, but I don't really speak on the megaphone anymore. So I don't have to worry about it. But lately I've been definitely like double masking because I'm like, uh, I'm getting a little concerned and we're still protesting. But I think when it comes to the beginning of all this, I didn't expect to be protesting because we were all in quarantine. And then when everyone came out, I'm like, oh, oh, we're doing this. I was actually more surprised that not a lot of us have gotten sick because we all wore our mask and stuff. And it was, it's like interesting because I'm just used to wearing this 
cloth on my face. And then I go to like a counter protest with like anti-maskers being present. And then they're all up in my face with no mask saying all these pseudoscience thing and you're like what what is going on <laughs> yeah so i wanted to follow up on that hennessy because just yesterday you were was that grand army plaza yes <laughs> okay you were at grand army plaza and it was an an anti-mask anti-mask event and i believe in support of trump if i'm not mistaken but maybe you could tell us more about your experience because we didn't have anyone there you know on that day I, i've never been to a counter protest i was like anti-mask related and I was just kind of like afraid because it's like we're talking about big religious communities in New York City coming together to say oh no screw this this is going against our religious freedom and I'm like that is not how that works or the people that came up to me yesterday when they're spitting pseudoscience and then I asked them show me the scientific article to support your statement and then they don't it was quite the quite the experience or I'm trying to explain to them CDC data and they're not getting it like comorbidities. It's like, no, COVID amplifies anyone with other conditions. Right. And they're like trying to confuse me. And I'm like, you can't confuse someone. I study science, like reading scientific literature. I understand it. I know it doesn't come easy for everyone because not everyone studies science, but I, I do. So it's like, I, I know how to read. And it's like, I don't think, not that they, you know, I'm pretty sure they're literate, but I don't think they are reading the information correctly. I think they're misreading it and then they're misleading people. And I know you study in New York City. Uh, are you willing to share where and where you are, or how far along you are in pursuit of your degree? So I actually study in Syracuse. So I go to SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry and I, after Times Square, like almost getting hit by a car, I just kind of dropped the whole semester because it's like, how do I explain this to my professors? It, it was hard. And then I noticed within, even in that first week of school, I'm like, how do I even balance all the stuff that I'm doing in this? Because it's like, I, <laughs> I would be like present in class, but I would have the screen off and I'm like, I'm not learning anything. So I might as well just take the semester off, take a break and think. I'm actually reapplying right now to go back to school. And I figured I'd do it online. And I'm like, once school actually opens up, I know at some point I need to physically return to that campus. And I know like right now I'm not ready to physically return because it's like, I've been doing a lot of work here and I love the work I've been doing here. So it's, it's kind of an interesting time but I study environmental science and it's concentrated in renewable, en renewable energy and atmospheric science and I really miss school I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah I should say studying uh, remotely as so many students are doing um, right now and someone who's so passionate about education I wonder what your perspective is as far as um, children in New York City your hometown not being in school and whether or not they should be in school with, as the, uh, the virus continues to spread throughout the country? Um, I think as of right now, I don't think students should be in school, especially younger kids, because younger kids are more susceptible to disease, but it's like they'll come home, bring all this nasty germs to their parents who may have underlying conditions or to their siblings, older siblings with underlying conditions. So I really think kids should be at home. But, you know, I understand people are like, oh, well, we need to send these kids to school so they can have social interaction. But it's like, but we're in a pandemic. I don't know about all that. 
So I get how hard it is to be in school. Cause I mean, even for the college students, we're struggling too. Cause it's like, okay, do we go on campus? But it's like, I'm barely gonna, everything's gonna be super different. We're like, from what I've heard, it's like no one is allowed in each other's dorms or the class size is limited. So it's like, it's like a first come first serve basis to a degree. Like it's like the first people who show up, you know, they'll be in the physical room and then everyone else is gonna be online. And it, it's so strange or the fact that they cut off the semester early during Thanksgiving and now everyone is having their finals week. And everyone for the first time, for some of us have Saturday school. Like it, it's been interesting, but when it comes to like little, little kids, I don't think they should necessarily, they don't need to be on the physical school. I feel like online learning is fine for them but I get it because to a degree, not everyone has access to the same materials. That's part of the problem with COVID. Like we're noticing everyone is, has, there, there's so many economic disparities, so many class disparities that it is hard to say, oh, you know, kids shouldn't be on a physical campus. But the thing is, oh, this kid doesn't have a laptop at home or, oh no, this kid doesn't have Wi-Fi. Like it's, it's a, such a, difficult thing to discuss but it's like in a perfect world during a pandemic I would rather children stay home and do online learning but I get why all this is happening now but now the schools are being shut down so it's like we're going back to where we were in like March. Amanda did you have any other questions that you wanted to throw in there for Hennessy? I just had a couple more. Um, I do have a question I know Hennessy, you mentioned um, you miss school and I know that you um, are not speaking with your family right now, given you have different opinions about protesting. I wanted to ask, you know, what has been keeping you motivated or what has been a safe space for you during this time? It's certainly been a trying year, so. This year has been quite, quite the spectacle for me. So I didn't expect to like move out because I'm like, I'll move out once I graduate college. And it's like, well, kind of taking a break, kind of not in college. So it's like, ended up moving out early and it's interesting being on my own but it's like the chosen family that I have like being around people within the Stonewall protests and helping them organize and just the community in that is just beautiful or I definitely noticed that I didn't feel like I was doing enough and whether anyone wants to argue with me on whether or, or not I was doing enough my thing is I personally felt I was not doing enough so I ended up, you know, starting to cook for like Abolition Park and for other organizations to fill up community fridges or to, you know, just feed people who are housing and food insecure. And that definitely has been keeping me busy. Not easy to do that. No, and uh, you've been a fixture, Hennessy, at the Stonewall protests, which take place every Thursday in Stone at the Stonewall Inn and marching around that area. And I know you've been really involved, not just in there to march, but in some of the organization. You've co-organized events along uh, with Queen Jean and Joel Rivera, who organized the Stonewall protests. So, just can you talk a little bit more about your experience with that and? you know, how that's become a safe space for you. I've actually met like Queen at one of my protests and then over time I kept seeing her and then we're like, let's do a trans liberation march. And then like, it was like after that trans liberation march, then we really like kind of started getting closer. And then I 
connected with Joel and then later on connected with Babuji Nata. And honestly, Stonewall has really evolved. It used to be such a smaller group. And then it just kind of got bigger. And now we have like a consistent crowd of like 100 to 200 people, depending on the, on the week. And it's just such a breath of fresh air because it's like music. And then the speeches that we give were pretty like consistent with our message where you don't ever change your message because it's like, no, we're, we believe in black trans, black trans liberation. And we believe that black trans people deserve to live. And because of Stonewall, I definitely been doing so much more research. Like I'm used to like science research and math research. So to be able to do more research on like the trans community was very interesting because like I I read things on like their brains or how their bodies would work and I even found like a database and this database it's it's the saddest thing in the world but like it reports on every trans death maybe not every but like a lot of trans death that are reported all over the world looking at this database and finding out oh the most dangerous place in the world for trans people is in Brazil and then you think about it, you're like, imagine how many Black trans people are dying. I think with Stonewall, we definitely have caught a lot of people's attention. And whether they receive our message well or not, I think at the end of the day, I, I think we're doing really good work. And I just think a lot of people who are cis and straight would never understand, especially organizers who hasn't been to our protests or organizers who never really say, oh, you know, Black trans matter at their thing. So it's, it's been interesting the way we evolved and how our message is just like getting out there more. Do you feel like you're getting the recognition from those other organizers at this point? You know, 25 weeks in, about to be the 26th on Thursday, a couple of days from when we're recording this interview? I think in the beginning that we were like annoyed with other organizers because they weren't really, you know, we, we called them out. And we then, then we realized we're like, I think Miss Joelle said it. She's like, once I get my liberation, I hope you get yours because it's basically over calling out other people because it's like, it's not like, what's the point? It's like, we get it. You, you won't say it or you won't acknowledge it. So therefore, what we can easily do is we don't need to be around you simply. We don't need to support your protest. Make it easier on, on us. And with like press we're not really worried about it and honestly the the first time the press came we were in a dangerous situation I personally wasn't there but to watch on the live stream with like Joelle getting arrested and it's like the the, the warning signs were there that was, we a, had, that was a that was a dangerous dangerous night uh you know a lot of the team was there that that evening and um watching our live stream flipping around through the live streams it was it was scary and uh the aggression, which the Stonewall protest has, it was born out of aggression uh, towards people who are, are, are non-cis, right? So uh, people who are LGBTQ+. Plus. That's, that message has been carried through, but to see it physically, and I, I know you've been involved in instances uh, where there was NYPD aggression. It's a different, different experience entirely. And different for someone who looks like me as compared to someone who looks like yourself or someone who looks like a man. So I just, you know, really applaud you for your strength to this point. And like I said, I've gotten to know you and had 
the pleasure of seeing you grow, you know, as a human beyond just an activist. And uh, it's just, it's really impressive. So, you know, we obviously, we thank you for the work that you're doing. And unfortunately, it hasn't been all peaches and rainbows. You have received a fair amount of backlash, both from people who disagree with the movement for Black Lives Mattering and its tenets, and those within the Black Lives Matter movement banner. What can you share with us about that, Hennessy? Well, when it comes to people who don't believe in Black Lives Matter, I know a lot of people don't really interact with Trump supporters, but at my school, it's not that I have to, but it's like, I've, I've done it. Because it's like, I'm personally not afraid to have these conversations because I can compose myself really well. But I know that's not for everyone. So I'll, I'll take one for the team. And I'll talk to a Trump supporter. And I've honestly thought about debating one because I know one and we follow one another on Instagram. And it's like, I, I want to debate her so bad, but it's like, I don't think my audience and my friends and just ever, my people are not ready for that. But it's like, I've had conversations with this person who's a Trump supporter. And it's like, I mean, this is like the least aggressive way I can take her. <laughs> like, I think over time, I was afraid of her. And then with the movement, I'm like less afraid of her. And it's like, I think about the stuff she posts. And then I always think of like a counter argument against that. And it's like, I'm not reactionary as much. So I kind of always prove her wrong. But I know she to a degree it's like oh I'm the token lefty but it's like no honey I'm, I'm just observing um with people within the movement who disagree with me I think in like the beginning beginning it was more of like I guess it was called peace policing there's been a conversation on that and I've been aware that I've done it before so I've definitely stopped peace policing or you know I just kind of leave it to other people I'm like not the peace policing part but like I just kind of took a step back, thought about what someone had told me about it. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, we're going to rectify that. Could you share with our audience your understanding of what peace policing is? I think it's like the way someone interacts with the cops. I think that's what people mean, or that's the way I've taken it. Because it's like, I do agree that you can't really tell someone, especially a black person, another black person, how to release their aggression. And that's fair. My only argument with peace policing is that when it comes to our white allies, it's like, what is you agitating the cops? How, how, how do you make this situation better for your black peers? So that's my only issue. But it's like, if someone wants to yell at the cops or <laughs> I've seen a girl like straight up look at their badge numbers and look at all the misconducts, that's the funniest thing I've witnessed. And if that's how people are going to do it, that's how they do it. I personally, when it comes to like the NYPD, I, I would say in the beginning, I used to be afraid to even say anything or I'm like, people don't do that. But now I definitely, especially being around Miss Queen Jean, I definitely feel more not comfortable with the NYPD, but I'm more comfortable in, in like getting in their face. And by getting in their face, I can just look at them, give them, you know, the resting bitch face and show that I'm not scared of them. And the other like controversy i've been in has been recently there's been a talk of like abuse within the movement i know there have been people who are survivors and i get it i do and i may never understand someone who has dealt with sexual assault but i understand trauma and i will never tell especially another woman 
how to deal with their trauma. So it was a difficult conversation because people thought I was complicit in abuse by feeding abolition park. But the thing is, I've, I've had this conversation with other people. At the end of the day, the bad people within abolition park still need food. And honestly, I mean, I wrote a whole statement and I said, and I was, I was so serious. I was like, even if this person hates me, has done the worst thing to me or even wants me dead, they're still gonna get a food because I have empathy and I know it wasn't received well by the people who have called me out and it is what it is. I'm just like, I will never bring down another woman the way they try to bring me down. I was called like a handmaiden for Abolition Park. So they basically called me a servant and it's like, listen, me cooking for other people is because I wanna cook for other people. And at the end of the day, if my food can make someone happy, then I did my job. So it was so frustrating to deal with that for like two days, but I addressed it once and I said, I don't need to address it again. Cause I feel like people know me and they know what I stand for. And it's like, of course I'm not talking to actual abusers. What I expect if someone thinks I'm talking to abusers to call me out on it or be like, hey, this is a abuser that you're associating yourself with. But when it comes to organizations, I'm like, I'm not gonna denounce organizations because especially if I work with them or if I'm feeding them, like this group of people, had gotten mad at me for not reposting something and it's like they thought I wasn't supporting said person and it's like I believe that this person had gone through this thing but I'm not going to denounce a whole organization because they wanted me to denounce uh, writers for rights and I'm like um no I'm not going to do that because I work with them every Thursday what do you expect me to do not show up on Thursdays tell writers for rights go home no we need writers for rights especially because they keep it safe and they're and you know they're the they're this bike organization that literally had committed to Stonewall, and it's like I don't need to support the people who have been accused of said behavior, but it's like I'm not gonna denounce a whole organization because someone told me to, and because I didn't repose something that this person had wanted me to. I know I'm like being super cryptic and like super vague, but no, I, 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 I you know I think we understand where you're coming from, and um, whether the audience is aware of it or not. Uh, there have been allegations of abuse within the movement. The movement is very large. Uh, and generally, when you look at large groups of people, you know, you have issues like this, uh, verbal sexual abuse claims. And it's not to say that they're unfounded. We just don't have all the, the details and the facts. We haven't interviewed everyone on these claims. So uh, I wanted to see if, Amanda, you had any follow-ups on this particular topic. I um agree with you, Kevin, in terms of um, understanding why Hennessy is being discreet. And when you, I've heard similar allegations, you know, about Writers for Rights and other groups. And again, as Kevin said, when you, when you get into, you know, having bigger groups, you will see things like this happen. I mean, it's, it's almost inevitable that something like this will happen, but um, Obviously not excusing it or condoning not, it. Not even, <laughs> yeah. not at all. I definitely do think it's important for these individual groups to address it. But one person alone in terms of Hennessy being forced to call out people, I think that doesn't help anyone. I mean, certainly don't support that person if you feel strongly that they may have been involved in something like that. But calling out an entire group and condemning them for the behavior of one person isn't necessary. So I think you handle that really well Hennessy. and I don't know with this conversation I just thought about how people are it, it's so quick to like bring down whole organizations but it's like why can't we bring 
no, well, not break down, but why can't we call out individuals? And it's like this group of people are preaching reconciliation and restorative justice, but it's like with restorative justice, it's holding individuals accountable, not entire groups. So that's what that was the most frustrating like situation because it was just like it's this group of honestly women and they're like bringing other women down and it's just so annoying because it's like I would I don't want to bring down another woman and then I don't want and if one of these girls will listen to it I'm not trying to diminish their pain I acknowledge their pain and I support them and even though we're not friends and they, I, we're blocking each other on Instagram. I'm just, I'm, I still hold by my statement of I would rather hold individuals accountable rather than entire groups. So I'm sorry they're offended that I could not repost something that they wanted. I think they could handle this entire situation so much better. But what they have done is a whole like reckoning. And I definitely think a lot of organizers and people in general have noticed this whole like reckoning of like, oh my God, who do we trust? oh no, we can't be with these people. Like, I even question my role in the solo pros. I'm like, wait, should I even be here? Because it's like, it was all this other crap, like, people keep saying, and you're like, oh, you know what? Stop. Took time to think. And it's like, no, I'm going to just do what I do, and that's just feed people, work for my community, and that's it. And if that's such a problem, then it is what it is. And, I mean, I can, ju- I can handle it pretty well. If you have one goal moving forward in the in the movement, Hennessy, what would that be? I don't know. I'm hoping with like my little org, I definitely want to further other conversations. Like when it comes to, because like we're all bringing up all these different topics, and it's like people are preaching like Marxism, and then they're like, oh no, capitalism this, and it's like true, no, oh no, capitalism this, but it's like make sure that when we're saying capitalism is bad that we back that up that's my only issue within this movement it's like we can't just say these things because we're all saying it it's like we got to make sure we back it up so it's like we need to read things like the theory of moral sentiments by like adam smith because he's the father of capitalism we should be reading that form of literature we should be advocating to read this form of literature because it's like whatever we're preaching we need to make sure we're supporting that like because we don't ever want to look stupid like, I mean, this in the best way, but I know a lot of people that, that that was what, when it comes to peace policing, my only issue when it comes to yelling, it's like, where's the conversation? And it's like, if you, if we all had like the information to back up our, what we're saying, it'd be easier to have these conversations and it'd be also easier to, you know, catch cops off guard. Yeah. And it seems that you kind of welcome that interaction as well uh, and the dialogue, you know, and that's something we've always promoted. And I see a lot, you know, there are a fair amount of organizations that are doing the same. And, you know, to call on your, your example of the disagreements you have with a classmate who you may or may not consider to be a friend of yours, it's really important to have those discussions to understand each other. And I think this most recent election, if nothing else, proved that we are still dramatically divided as a country. And, uh, you know, we're talking two to four percent as far as how the vote broke out, you know, and that's pretty, pretty close to 50-50. So um, obviously a lot of people are still not seeing the world the same or aren't voting as if they see it the same. I think also specifically with Trump's campaign, it's like, what is the word? It's very like attractive to people. And the thing is, it's like, 
the way he puts things, it's easy to understand. Oh no, immigrants. That, you know, catches people's attention and then they're like, yes, oh no, immigrants. Or when it comes to like, you know, we should be supporting the fossil fuel industry. And they're like, yeah, cause more jobs. So it's like people take all this like ideology. It's easy to interpret basically. It's kind of sad because when, like you said, it's it was 50-50, like 70 million people voted for Trump, but like even though 74 million of us also voted Biden. So it's like, no, we're actually really divided. And the thing is, those two numbers together, that's half the country. Half the country didn't even vote, so we don't even know what half the country thinks because we're in a country of 300 million people and with half this country basically voting and not knowing where they stand, it's 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 a little scary because it's like even with like my the conservative pr follow like on instagram i'm just like tempted to say something to her because she'll post like very like not dramatic what's the word it's like very it's annoying inflammatory she'll post inflammatory things and you're just like why are you like this and i just think that people are not focusing enough on like the alt-right because the thing is that ideology is super easy to absorb like I've seen and read a lot of things about this and I think about how dangerous the alt-right is because I actually know like an ex-KKK member and they told me and they've explained to me yo this is like legit and the conversations I had with an ex-KKK member honestly life-changing but it's like that's why I'm I guess, more comfortable to speak with the right. That's why I'm more comfortable with right-wingers and anti-maskers and all these people getting in my face because I've, I've already had these tough conversations. But it's like, even with our system, our system is not ready for tough conversations. Like this two-party system, this bipartisan system, all these systems have been meant to divide all of us. So, you know, what they say, divide and conquer, and that's exactly what it's doing. You know, Hennessy, I think what you're doing is really awesome. And to be so young and doing this, getting out there, you know, using the platform that you do have to share your voice to just really give back to the community. I think that's really important. And again, to be so young and doing this. And I want to know, you know, how can listeners further support you? So my org is Unlearning Racism Together. For now, we're going to rebrand into something different. And we're definitely hoping to get a bigger team. But as of right now, my org is on a break. For me, I just definitely been into other things with like mutual aid. I definitely love the work I'm doing for that. But my Instagram is uh, Hennessy, H-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y-M-G. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Again, I think the work you're doing is remarkable and I'm, I'm here to see more of it. Thank you so much for having me here. Yes, thank you for joining us.